Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. He knew that the Sabbath was there for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so again, this whole idea, is it lawful, is it okay to do this thing on the Sabbath? And it's not a problem because again, Jesus had a heart for the people. And once again, he turns this test around and he puts the Pharisees on the spot. You would think that they would eventually realize you can't test the teacher. The teacher will always have the last say. Just remember that students, as you're going through school, the teacher will always have the last say. They're the ones that sign off on your final grade, okay? And in the same way, Jesus, he is the one. It'll be the final grade on that too. Jesus always knew how to turn the tests back around on the religious leaders who continually challenged his authority as the son of God. And although there was never a moment when they had the upper hand on Jesus, it never seemed to get through to them that everything he did was above reproach. In our time with Pastor David today, we're reminded that God's heart for the people always trumped the rules and practices of the religious people. No one was ever able to misalign the ministry of Jesus. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Final Exam. Well, as you can well imagine, these last few weeks have been some pretty trying times in a lot of families. If they've got children, particularly, because these last few weeks have been those days of final exams, final exams. And just as uh, Josh was saying, he wouldn't want to go back into junior high and then deal with that. I don't think any of us would. I don't think any of us want to deal with the final exams anymore. But the reality is, is we are continually in a time of exams within our lives. Every aspect, almost of every day, the enemy is testing us. But then the Lord also wants to see and understand our commitment to him. One of the things that we see in Jesus' life, his entire ministry, it seemed from the very time that he came on the scene teaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God being at hand, that there was a test in his life as the Pharisees would push and try to twist his words and try to take everything that he would say and use it against him. You've got to understand that probably of all the people that were listening to Jesus speak and to preach and watching him as he healed people, probably the ones paying the closest attention were actually the Pharisees. They probably listened more than anyone else, but the problem was is they just didn't hear. They listened with their ears, but they didn't hear with their heart, with their understanding. We're going to look at a place where once again, the test is placed upon the teacher, but uh, we're going to find out. You don't test the teacher. The teacher turns it around really quick. We're in the gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 14. I invite you to turn there if you would. 
This has been a busy time. It's been a busy season in the life of Jesus. Again, in these last several days before he heads into Jerusalem for that final week of his ministry prior to his arrest and his crucifixion. Here in chapter 14, we're going to see a particular event in Jesus' life that uh, it's not unlike some of the others that have happened, but I believe that there's some particular lessons that we're going to see here. In Luke chapter 14, we begin in verse 1, it says, Now it happened. That whole idea, now it happened, this is just a continuation of what's been going on previously as we've even looked at chapter 13 in previous weeks. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Interesting, even as he looks here, dropsy, it's a condition, uh, they believe that it was a condition, a problem with uh, either the liver or the kidneys where the body would retain a tremendous amount of fluids. Uh, it would be very, not only very uncomfortable, but it could be very dangerous uh, even in their lives. And this man was there. He had this condition. Jesus could have seen it on him physically. Undoubtedly, there was great discomfort on the man as he was there at this dinner. The man even being at the dinner is kind of an interesting thing that we'll look at as we get in. Why was he here? Did they invite him to this dinner because they wanted to test, see what Jesus was going to do? Or was this man a part of the family and, uh, or part of the friends and he was there and would have been whether Jesus was there or not? I believe a little bit later we're going to see some clues to this of why exactly that man was there. Well, Jesus, seeing this man, seeing the situation that he was in, he turned and he knew that these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these lawyers were watching him. As it says here, they were watching him closely. Now, was that the reason that Jesus was even invited to the party? This one Pharisee invites him for dinner. Did that man invite him for dinner for honest and for honorable reasons? Or was he part of this crew that's always watching always looking, always trying to find the issue. We don't know for sure, but again, as we get in, we'll, we'll see a little bit more. Jesus spoke to the lawyers, to the Pharisees, and asked them a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they weren't able to answer. They kept silent, verse 4 says, and he took the man and healed him, and then he let him go. Even the interesting phrase there, he let him go, It's almost as if that man had been brought in for that very precise reason of let's try and stumble up Jesus. Let's try and trick, let's see what he's gonna do. Hey, here's a guy with a physical ailment. I normally wouldn't invite him to my party, by the way, but we're gonna invite him today because we've got Jesus in the house and we're gonna see what's gonna go on. And so as Jesus, in the midst of the silence, in the midst of these not being able to respond, as he heals this man, once the man is healed, says they let him go. You know, the question that Jesus asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's not really a difficult question, particularly if you really cared about people. But if you cared more about outward appearance, if you cared more about uh, the obedience to their verbal laws, if you cared more about ritual and cared more about ceremony than you cared about people, then the answer would be totally different. But you see, Jesus cared about the people. He knew that the Sabbath was there for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
And so again, this whole idea, is it lawful? Is it okay to do this thing on the Sabbath? And it's not a problem because, again, Jesus had a heart for the people. And once again, he turns this test around and he puts the Pharisees on the spot. You would think that they would eventually realize you can't test the teacher. The teacher will always have the last say. Just remember that, students, as you're going through school, the teacher will always have the last say. They're the ones that sign off on your final grade, okay? And in the same way, Jesus, he is the one. It'll be the final grade on that, too. In in verse 5, Jesus continues on. He says, he answered to them saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that's fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Once again, they couldn't answer him. He couldn't answer him regarding these things. And in the midst of their quietness, Jesus knew that these guys were, again, trying to process, how can we get this back on Jesus rather than it being on us? If you were with us when we were in chapter 13, Jesus asked them a very similar question when, again, he healed a woman at that point in time. And then he asked the, the Pharisees at that point, he says, which of you doesn't at least get his ox or his donkey out of the stall and bring him and get him water, even if it's Sabbath day? You see, They allowed the bending of the rules for their own convenience. But when it dealt with dealing with people, there were real sticklers for the rules, real sticklers for the law. Because again, their heart wasn't truly for, particularly for people that had some kind of a situation, some kind of ailments, uh, some kind of disease, some kind of issues going on in their lives. Jesus looked around the room. He noticed even the seating arrangements of those that had been invited for the dinner. Verse 7 says, so he told them a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. He said to them in verse 8, When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and and him come and say to you, oh, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. You see the picture here. You get invited to somebody's party, and particularly in those days, the, the seating arrangements, the one that sat closest to the host, that was a place of honor. So you get there a little early, and oh, that seat right next to the host is open. I'll go sit there. That's a great place of honor for me to be at. And then all of a sudden, somebody that uh, is more of a favorite to the host than you are comes in, and the host comes to you and says, would you mind scooting down a little bit so that my friend can sit here? And by this time, as he says, down to the lowest place, others have come in. They've filled in the places. The only place left is down at the end of the line. So you came in with this attitude, hey, I'm going to be real uptight, close to the host, because that's a place of importance. You end up being at the very end of the line. Give place to this man, and with shame, he goes, and he takes the lowest place. But Jesus says in verse 10, but when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, Go on up a little bit higher, and then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Beloved, that's, that's the point of this whole teaching here as he's giving this understanding of when you go to the meal and where to sit. It really and truly has nothing so whatsoever to do with what place you sit. It all has to do with the humility of a heart. 
How many of you have ever gone to a dinner party and they actually have place settings with your name and you have a place where you're supposed to sit? You know, you come and you're looking all over and you go to the table that you hope you're going to be sitting at and your name's not on that one. And you go to the next table and your name's not on that one. Finally, you realize you're back in the far corner of the building and that's where your name is. You know, hey, at least you made it to the party, right? This whole idea here, Jesus reminds him, really, the words from Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25 says, do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of the great. For it's better that he says to you, hey, come on up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Also, Proverbs 29, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Pride is a tough thing. And every one of us deal with it. Every one of us deal in some form or fashion with this whole idea of pride. And about the time that we think that we don't deal with pride, that's probably because we're not dealing with pride very well. Years ago here in Casa Grande, the, the ministry had been going for a while and it was starting to grow and uh, we'd start to see some of the fruits of the ministries. And I got this very formal looking letter in the mail and I opened it up and I began reading it. And uh, the, the letter in essence is telling me uh, what a great job I was doing here within the community. I've been recognized by my peers as somebody of, of great importance within our community and blah, 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 blah. Blah, you know, it's all this sappy kind of stuff. Well, they wanted to put my name, and you've probably heard of these uh, who's who of whatever it is. They wanted to put my name in there. And so I, I really got puffed up for a while. I thought, well, somebody finally recognized me. You know, somebody finally recognized me for who I am. But then the more I read that letter, the more I realized, hey, for only X amount of dollars, we'll put your name in this book. And then for X amount of more dollars, you can actually have a copy of the book. It was a whole scam based on the pride of man. You want to be a who's who of got scammed? You know, just send in your check right here. How easy it is for us to fall into this whole idea of pride. Even in the greatest of our humility, our pride seems to just flourish. I'm really and truly a, a humble guy. Let me tell you how humble I am. I've got a shirt that says that I'm humble even, just so everybody knows how humble I am. You see, that's kind of where our minds go. Humility, it should be a fundamental portion of our Christian life, and yet our, our, our humanity, our, our flesh, just screams out many times to at least recognize me, at least see me, at least you know, give an account of me. Again, it's, it's been said that humility is not thinking meanly of ourselves. It's simply not thinking of ourselves at all. And Jesus was the greatest example of humility. In all that he did, as, as great as he was, as, as mighty, as powerful as he was, God in human flesh, God here among us, and yet even he humbled himself even to the point of the cross. 
He humbled himself and he ministered to the, to the lowliest of the ones that were in the areas as he went into these communities. He was the one who would go and he would touch those with leprosy. He was the one who would go and minister to those with, with all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. The ones that the Pharisees, the ones that all the religious ones would back away from and, and not even want to touch or, or be a part of, these are the ones that Jesus came to. He got in human flesh of all the ones that could have said, hey, I'm above that, I'm beyond that. And yet he was the one who dove right into the very midst of that. And beloved, that's how you and I are called to be as followers of Jesus. We're called to be that kind of example, that kind of impact in the world that is around us. And we would do well to invite the Holy Spirit to enable us to be able to imitate Christ in these very things. Jesus now turns his attention to the host of the dinner party there in verse 12. Then Jesus also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask just your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor and the lame and the, the maimed and the lame and the blind. And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The normal thing for probably, I think, any of us. Anyone would, you invite friends, you invite families, you invite the people that you have connection with. If you have a place, a position, or a power, then again, the, the normal human portion would be to invite those of position and power to your gathering, to your dinner. You invite people as a sign of your place in society. It's a thing of status symbol for them. And, and you'd, you'd be looked at it as rather, as rather odd uh, if the people that you invited to your party were, again, the, the lame and the lowly and, and the poor, particularly if you're a person of status and, and, and some kind of authority within the community and you hold a big dinner party and instead of inviting the mayor, instead of inviting the police chief and the department heads and all the, the heavy businessmen of the area, no, you go out and you invite this one or that one, those of lowly income, those that are struggling in areas, people would look at you and weird say, wow, why in the world would you invite these guys to your party? But yet Jesus says that's really where we ought to be. That our connection with people shouldn't be based on any other thing other than the fact that they are God's creation and that God can and will and desires to work and move within their lives. Snobbery was present everywhere, and Jesus confronted it. Now, you need to understand, now, he wasn't prohibiting us from entertaining family and friends. No, not, not at all. But he was warning us against entertaining only the family or friends or those of equal status, doing that exclusively or habitually. That kind of fellowship really degenerates pretty quickly to this mutual admiration society. You know, we've all made it too bad about the rest, huh? And again, this is what Jesus is warning them about. Each one, instead of each one trying to outdo the other, we need to break that kind of a cycle. Sad to say that even in church social life, that same description many times fits us all too well. It's real easy to invite people of the same status, the same situation we are, rather than look around and say, hey, where's the need? 
Where are the people who are, who are broken within our fellowship? Where are the people who are hurting within our congregation? Where are the ones that I can reach out to? They may not ever be able to invite me to dinner at their home, but you know what? I can bless them. I can, again, glorify God through reaching out to those in situations, again, not in the same place, not in the same situation as I am. Beloved, our whole world is so full of competition and one-upsmanship. How different it would be if just within the church we could change that whole idea. If we would extend ourselves to the down and out, even as the church. The unfortunate truth is that many churches, they become so, so homogeneous, they, they, everybody's the same. You get one church, it's a lower class church. You get another church, it's a higher class church. I'm blessed when I look at our fellowship here and I realize, man, we cover the map in so many ways. And I believe that that speaks to your heart, of your desire to honor God in your life. But beloved, it doesn't mean that there's not areas that we can continue to work on, continue to allow the Lord to minister in and through us, to soften our heart to those that are down and out, to those that are the lonely, those that are the oppressed that are around us. If along with those who are family and friends, we included those who were without family and those that were without friends, that I believe that then we would really be demonstrating the heart of of Jesus in our lives. Verse 15, he goes on. He says, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to Jesus, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, in the context of this, because Jesus goes right to another parable, you need to realize that the heart and the attitude of this guy when he says these things He's not saying this as, as, as a great declaration of what Jesus has already said. He's kind of saying it as puffing himself up. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's where I'm going to be. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but that's where I'm going to be. Jesus sees this. He says to him, you know, a certain man had a, had a, had a supper. He had a great supper, and he invited many people to come. And he sent a servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first one said, I've bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask that you have me excused. Another said, I, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them out. I ask that you have me excused. And still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Don't worry about it. Excuse me. I just can't come. We look at these things. We, we look at these three different issues. One man bought a piece of ground. I, I've got to go see it. Whoever buys a piece of ground but doesn't go and see it before that. Does this sound like a little bit of an excuse? The man bought five yoke of oxen. That's, that's ten oxen. I've got to go try them out. I've, I bought me a used car. I've got to go see if it works. You know? I, I bought these oxen. I've got to go try them out. I can't make it to the supper. Still another, I've married a wife, and therefore I can't come. What, she can't come with you? All of these things are important. All of these things are actually a, a part of life. But you need to understand, these, these folks had been pre-invited to that party, and you need to understand in the parable what this party is. It's about being 
a part of the kingdom of God. God has invited us to come and be a part of the kingdom of God to serve Him wholly. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.